So have you ever written a letter to somebody? Ever, ever, not typed, handwritten a letter to somebody? Well, here's some letters that some kids wrote their mom. Dear mom, I've got a poem for you. Roses are red, just like your face when dad eats our snack. It's got a ring to it, right? Here's another one. Dear mom, I love you more than rainbows and beautiful blue skies. I love you more than buttercups and wings of butterflies. I love you more than cow. The end. Nothing says love like cow, right? This is my favorite. Dear mom, thank you so much for being my mom. If I had a different mom, I would punch her in the face and go find you. Love, Brooke. (laughs) Brenda, I don't know if that was Brooke from years ago or if this is a newer note. I'm not sure. But, you know, you can say that at least that little girl is loyal to her mama. What about a letter from mom to kids? Jen Hatmaker is the daughter of a pastor, and she is now married to a pastor and She writes in her book, For the Love, a letter to her kids. And it starts like this. Dear kids, it is just a random Tuesday, so today is as good as any to tell you all my dreams for your life. I don't want to wait until your graduation parties or your rehearsal dinners or some big moment when important words will get swept away in the hustle. Also, you're asleep right now, so I'm feeling very tender towards you because you are safe and snug in your beds and you are silent. She writes a beautiful letter to her kids, but there's just this one little part that I just love. God measures our entire existence by only two things, how we love him and how we love people. If you get this right, you can get a million other things wrong. There's a lot of truth in that. Love God and love people. You know, that's, that's kind of the mission statement of this one pretty cool group. And what group is that? Well, let me tell you about that group through another letter. A letter written by the Apostle Paul to some of his friends in a place called Corinth. Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 13. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit, for the body is not one member, but many. The group that has as its primary mission statement to love God and love people is the church. And the church is not one person. The church is a lot of people. The church is a a family of people, a family of people that have been saved by Jesus Christ. It was just a movie that you saw a moment ago, but but as you see people healed and as we read about people being healed and, and coming to faith in Christ in the Gospels, in the Bible, those people are part of our family and we are part of their family. The family of God, the the church, is a, a group of people who have been saved by Jesus. They are loving Jesus and they are following Jesus. The church is made up of people from lots of countries. It's made up of people from a lot of different backgrounds. Some people in the church were kings and queens. Some people in the church were poor slaves. Some people in the church are business leaders. And some people in the church are homeless. 
The church is a, is a family. It's, it's a body. Jesus has saved people into a family. And this family functions as a body. And this body has all kind of parts. Paul continues in his letter. Verse 15. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an ear, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. Every single person in this room, every single person in this universe is unique. You have unique gifts, unique talents, unique skills. There is a a usefulness to your life in this universe. But then when you take a person who is a Christian and you put them into the life of the church, those skills, those gifts, those talents, that usefulness, it becomes dynamic. Because God begins to take the natural things and turn them into supernatural things. God begins to take what you can do and he begins to use it for his glory and he begins to use it to radically bless people in the church and people outside of the church. Paul goes on. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant I'm about to tell you something that's going to cause you to judge me, all right? But it's okay. You can ask for forgiveness as soon as you judge me, okay? So about 35 years ago, I was standing in the checkout line at the Kmart in Fort Worth, Texas. And for some reason that seemed really, really cool back then, I was purchasing a Michael Jackson Thriller doll. Now go ahead, get your judgment out. Go ahead. Just just get all that out of your system so we can go ahead and and move on here. So anyway, I'm about eight or nine years old, and and I've just made my purchase, and I'm kind of standing at the end of the line, and, and the lady at the cash register looks down at me in this loud Texas drawl. She says, sweetie, poor thing, you don't have any eyebrows. When I was a kid, my, my eyebrows were kind of blind, so they kind of looked like they weren't there. So, you know, I'm, I'm a little off-center, and I'm, I'm a little shocked. You know, I'm eight, eight nine-year-old kid. I, I don't really know what to do. I, I remember thinking, man, this is, this is bad. She, she, must, she must want me to go to the bathroom and, and look at the man in the mirror. Or, or maybe she's just mean, and, and she might just want to be starting something with me. Or, or maybe, maybe I just need to run and get away from here and, and, just, and just beat it. Maybe I, maybe I just need to beat it. Yeah. It was fun, though, wasn't it? So what is more important, your eyebrows or your kidneys? See, the eyebrows are kind of like the celebrities at the movie premiere. And your kidneys are, are kind of like the guys that fix the out-of-order bathroom at the movie theater that you desperately needed after you had the 72-ounce Super Megaplex Diet Coke in the middle of the movie. So what's more important, the, the eyebrows or the kidneys? What do, you, what do you need the most? 
You see, they're both important. They're both part of the body. If you don't know this, I read this this week, the, the eyebrows are kind of like the sweatbands of the eyes. They, they kind of hang out up here and make sure the sweat doesn't get down into your eyes. I didn't know that. I just read that this week. So your eyebrows are important. They have a purpose. But your kidneys, your kidneys are significantly important. They may not look as cool. They're on the inside. They're kind of oddly shaped. But you need them. So they actually have a a greater place of honor, so to speak, even though they may not be as as fancy as your eyebrows. Do you know that nothing in our culture really works like this? I mean, think about it. The kid who is less presentable and less honorable, they always sit over in in the corner of the cafeteria by themselves. The guy at work that is usually less presentable and less honorable, he has a cubicle back by the screen door next to the runway, you know? The politician who's less desirable, less honorable, less presentable, when the TV press conference is on, he's always the guy shoved in the back, you know, behind the the flag with the seal for the county sanitation department. The less presentable people are always pushed to the back. They're, They're not that important. But that is not how life works in the church. See, the church is is a body. The church is a family. And the people that on the outside might seem less honorable and less presentable, they are strategically important to the life of the church. Every part matters. My pastor in seminary, he used to always tell people anywhere we go, somewhere in the course of the conversation, he'd find a way to to say, you matter to God. You matter to God. And that is especially true when it comes to the church, when it, when it comes to believers, when it, when it comes to the, the parts of the body, the, the family of God, you, you really matter to him. Do you matter to him because you can preach or teach or because you can play or sing or because you can organize or administrate or, or run some numbers or run the sound or, or maybe because you can fix something or build something or cook something or decorate something or maybe because you give the most money or maybe because you have great eyebrows? Is that why you matter to God? No. You matter to God because of Christ. This is what Paul said. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And he gave himself up for me. Because you exist, you matter. You are a masterpiece. You are part of God's grand art gallery. You have been perfectly, fearfully, and wonderfully made. And you are a masterpiece in his natural created world. But if you're a Christian, then more than just being a masterpiece in his natural created world, you are a masterpiece in his eternal world. Because his son came and died for your sins to rescue you. He gave his life for you. So you matter to God big time because Jesus died for you. His son died for you. And when God saves us through through such a brutal way, through his own son being crushed for the penalty of your sin and my sin. When, when God saves that way, he saves us into the church and he doesn't save us to leave us out in the rain and the cold and the exposure. Paul keeps going in verse 24. But God so composed the body so that there may be no division in the body, 
but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. That's what makes the church so amazing. In all seriousness, I'm like wondering about the back corner now. Who's missing? <laughs> Who's not here? Is everything okay? Are they good? You know? I want to encourage you, if, if somebody that you normally sit next to on Sunday mornings is not here, be worried about them in a good way. Be concerned. Hey, they're, they're not here. They're not next to me. I promise, I have no idea if more than 300 people are sitting where they normally sit. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty good with names, but I'm not that magical. But you sit next to people on a regular basis. You have the ability to go, hey, somebody's not here. Maybe I can check on them. The church is dynamic because when one suffers, we, we all kind of suffer. And when one rejoices, we, we kind of all rejoice. We, we are a family. We are a body. We, we do things together. The church is incredible. You see, the church isn't just an organization. The church is, is an organism. It's alive. And it's not just this random universal body with, with random universal parts all over the place. It is a universal church. It is a universal body. But that universal body has tons of little bodies inside of it. Thousands of little bodies inside of that. And we are one of those bodies. Some of you come from a lot of different churches this morning. Some of you are visiting. Some of you come from different denominations. Some of you are not a part of a church anywhere. I want you to know that, that I really want you to love your church. I'm about to help us love our church. I want you to love your church. I want you to be encouraged with your church. And if you don't have a church, then I want you to learn to love that the church exists and the church exists for you. This church was constituted on March 13th, 1955. The people of this church first met in what used to be a grocery store. That building is still around the corner from us down on Meaton Street. You, you can see it. The church quickly outgrew that. In fact, they grew so much that some of the Sunday school classes were meeting in school buses. I just think that's really cool. I mean, if I was a teenager, I think it would be really cool if I left the building and went out in the school bus and had Sunday school. But after a while, they outgrew the grocery store. They outgrew the school buses, and they came to this spot here on 12th Street. So here's the question. If it started on Meeting Street, and now we're on 12th Street, why doesn't the sign out front say 12th Street Baptist Church? Well, why doesn't the sign say Meeting Street Baptist Why doesn't it say School Bus Baptist Church? You know, where's, where's the story here? Well, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, there was a prophecy. And the prophecy was that there was a pathway and that this pathway was going to come right before the ground upon which your feet rest now. But alas, the prophecy was not fulfilled. And the pathway did not come before, but with a look to a new hope for the future. The church said, you know what? We're going to adopt that prophetic pathway's name, and that pathway was Holland Avenue. Now, that's not written in stone anywhere, but we're pretty sure that's kind of the best account of, of how we got our name. Now, if you've ever looked at the definition of a legend, it is a 
story that is traditionally known to be true and historic, although it cannot be fully authenticated. So in a sense, the name Holland Avenue is legendary. (laughs) So, I mean, that's our slogan, right? Come be a part of a legendary church. I mean, this is great. From legend to legacy, uh, we have big shoes to fill, specifically me. The first pastor of this church, Paul Bulletin, was here for 22 years. The last pastor before me, Charles Wilson, was here for 24 years. That is rare. Pastors just don't stay at churches long, and, and churches don't really love their pastors that long. And so I just give this church just such a great, joyful pat on the back for God's grace in your life, for being so faithful for so long. In between those two pastors was a guy named Rufus Chaneyworth. This is the second time I have pastored a church after Rufus Chaneyworth. I mean, just our names are cool together, right? I mean, we, we sound like a country western duo or like tag team wrestlers. Rufus and Dow, you know, man, this is great. <laughs> but we know that the church is more than the pastor. And the church is more than just a building. And the church is more than just a name. And the church is more than just a history. Some of you have been considering becoming part of of this church. Some of you are part of another church somewhere else. But I want to encourage you in the next few moments to know that the church is fantastic. The church is wonderful. And I want you to see a bit of that wonder just here in our church at Holland Avenue. And if God's leading you to come and be a part of what we're doing here, then, then we hope you will be encouraged. And if you go to another church, I hope you will be encouraged. When we look at the Bible, there's three distinct groups in the church. There's the congregation, there's the pastors, elders, overseers. They're kind of all interchangeable in that word. And then there's the deacons. The congregation would be the church members. Here at Holland Avenue, we have church membership established by a person's personal conversion to Jesus and and also by immersion in baptism. Now, I encourage you to go to hallandavenue.com, look at the sermon or listen to the sermon from last September 13th, 2015 to hear a little bit more about baptism. But let me just say a quick word about baptism. We believe in baptism by immersion, not because we think we're the best Christians in the world. I have plenty of friends in ministry that are not Baptists, and they baptize using other modes. We agree on the gospel. We agree that, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and, and that's why we're friends. We disagree on some secondary things, and, and that's why we don't go to church together. So do we here at Holland Avenue have a secret, strange cult? And we're trying to keep all those sprinkled people out of our church by requiring immersion. No. We simply and hopefully graciously hold to a view that the best way to approach what Jesus taught on baptism is is by dunking people in water. That's just how we view it. The most important group in the life of the church would be the congregation because without the congregation, you, you don't really have a church. You don't have a body. You don't have a family. The second group that we see in the scriptures that is clearly in the early church were the pastors, elders, overseers. I'm going to kind of use overseers and, and pastors here. Technically, I'm the only overseer at Holland Avenue, and, and I'm praying that will not always be that way because when you look in the Bible, the early churches always had a group of overseers. 
So that the healthiest thing for a church to pursue is, is more than one overseer. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to have a, a bunch of paid seminary trained pastors. I have several of my friends, some at Southern Baptist churches and other churches, that have overseers and pastors at their church that are non-paid. I know some of these men. One of them is a business executive with a power company. The other one owns his own car repair shop. They're just normal men. They don't have a desk or an office at the church, but they come alongside the pastor and they help in the spiritual ministry of the church. They are humble, they are godly, they are wise, they are full of love and joy and happiness, and they are big gospel people. And so they serve, some as paid, some as non-paid pastors. Now, one of the reasons you need a lot of humility and godliness and wisdom, especially from the non-paid pastors, is you can't find much wisdom, humility, and godliness in the senior pastor. You know, that's out there. You don't find that stuff in us, you know. So you need some godly men. Some men who know what it means to love the church and love the gospel. I'll just say this. I believe with all of my heart that the way God is working in our church right now, that our church will be able to see and the congregation will be able to recognize and affirm some paid and non-paid pastors, some paid and non-paid overseers in the years to come that I believe God is already raising up and he will possibly bring to us as well. The congregation... The pastors, the elders, the overseers, and the third distinct group is the deacons. If you look at the Bible, the overseer's primary responsibility, their primary focus is the spiritual needs of the church, and the deacons, their primary focus is the physical needs of the church. And so when you look at the scriptures, we would be able to say that if you were to look at our deacons on any particular week at this church, you could find them doing all kinds of stuff. Our deacons might be ushering, they might be praying, they might be greeting, They might be helping a a senior adult to get a ride home somewhere. They might be covering security during our services or during our events. They might be visiting in the hospital. They might be witnessing to a co-worker. In a lot of churches, there's this notion that the, the deacons are power brokers with agendas, always trying to push their thing through. And I want you to know that, to me, is one of the reasons why God is so uniquely blessing our church, because our deacons are true, faithful servants. We have some fantastic deacons here. There's one more group that's not distinctly put together in the scriptures. There's the congregation, there's the overseers, there's the deacons, and there's, there's one more group. We don't, we don't really see them outlined in the Bible, but we believe and feel confidently that, that God greatly affirms them because we believe they're kind of the backbone of what we do every single week, and that's our staff. We have a fantastic staff here at Holland Avenue. I'm always trying to tell them that privately to their face and always trying to say that publicly as well. Their vision, their creativity, their faithfulness, those things serve as a huge gift to our church and to our community. And not only that, at the drop of a coin, Stacy can play any song on the organ by ear in the history of music with no effort. She is the karaoke queen. So we've got that going for us. We have a great staff. Beyond distinct groups, we have distinct documents. We have a constitution and bylaws, some operations manuals. Those things have just been updated. And we're really excited that Bruce Hillian has just retired. 
So now, Bruce, at least one week a year, is, is going to spend all that week just updating and looking through the Constitution and bylaws, making sure that, that manual is updated. And we're, we're thrilled at that. The, the only thing Bruce has asked is that he could do the Lambo Leap at one church conference a year, and, and we're working on, on maybe allowing him to do that. Beside distinct groups and distinct documents, we have a distinct purpose, and that is to equip. This is what Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ. Our purpose is to equip one another. What we do here is purpose to help you do life at your house. What we do here is purpose to help you do life at school and at work. Equipping changes how we live our lives on a daily basis. So who gets equipped? Well, the first group that gets equipped, or at least one of those groups, is adults. From Sunday school to Wednesday night Bible study, which I highly recommend Wednesday night Bible study. It's just fun. Senior adult ministry, women's ministry, brotherhood. We have committee groups, small groups, prayer groups. Uh, There's all kinds of ways for for you to get plugged in, for you to learn and to grow and, and be a serving part of this church. Who else gets equipped? Well, the students get equipped. We believe that the Bible teaches that the home is the primary campus of the gospel. And so we are a friend, a companion to the home. So we offer all kinds of activities for junior high students and high school students and college students. And the reason we do those things is we want to encourage them, we want to help them, we want to challenge them, and we want to cheer them on in life. Brad and and our student ministry team and our leaders and our volunteers and all those different age groups, they are here to help you as a parent, but they're not here to replace you as a parent. Not only that, I mean, I know we saw Jesus on the film a few minutes ago during the choir song, but by far, our student ministry team has the best Jesus actor west of the Tigris-Euphrates River. So we're thrilled for Brian Markham. Man, I mean, what, what would we do without Brian? Parents, I want you to work hard, pray hard to lead your students to Christ. And we will do all that we can to come alongside you and cheer you on and to cheer them on. Who else gets equipped? Well, we also have children that get equipped. I'm not Henry VIII. I am, but the second verse is the same as the first. We do believe that the home is the primary campus for the gospel. And so, therefore, our children's ministry exists to be a friend and a companion to the home. We have all kinds of activities that we offer for children and preschoolers on Wednesdays and Sundays at seasonal times. We have VBS all summer long this summer, and we have a fantastic group of folks that work with all of these areas. Right now, as we sit in this room, I cannot begin to tell you how fantastic our We Worship and our kids' worships are. Probably the, the most strategic thing that happens at our church all week long is what happens in the preaching here and the teaching in the kids' worship and the we worship. What happens and, and what goes on with those leaders is, is fantastic. Uh, one of our children uh, here, I think just last week or week before last, took their Bible and the Bible reading plan that Tammy hands out to them to a baseball game because she wanted to equip herself a little bit while she was hanging out at the baseball game. You know, the statistics say that 80% of kids that grow up in the church bail as soon as high school's over. And so the way that, that our children's ministry is investing God's word in these kids' lives, we are doing much to change those statistics. We are watching as our kids grow up in Christ and as they commit themselves to him. And I can't say enough about our weekday preschool. Man, oh man, oh man. 
The weekday preschool is one of the most exciting ministry outlets I've ever been a part of. And I'm so thankful that some of you created it. Some of you have invested in it over the years, and it is still going strong today. Listen, praise God, praise God, praise God for Tammy and Lindsay. Praise the Lord for Tammy and Lindsay. If you have not told them lately that they're fantastic, do it today, do it this week. Because the way God is working through them is strategic in how he is blessing our church. Parents, we want you to pray hard and work hard to lead your kids to Christ. And we want to come alongside you and cheer you on as you do that. What does all this equipping lead to? What's the natural byproduct of equipping? Well, the natural byproduct of equipping is is going. It's, It's missions and evangelism. See, when the church is really being built up as a body, when the church is really growing as a family, we don't stay in this room and lock the doors and don't let anybody in and sit around in the dark singing kumbaya. That's that's not what the church does. As we're equipped, we go. The way we go in this community is is amazing. It's not always fully as a church. Sometimes it's in little pockets. We have folks that help out at God's helping hands. We have folks that are investing the gospel in public schools, at hospitals, nursing homes, assisted living centers. We have disaster relief. We have food relief. We have poverty relief. We have trips to Guatemala and Honduras and Moldova and and all parts in between. We have trips next door to our neighbors as we go with the gospel there. God is blessing our church in the going, and we want to pray that he'll continue to help us to be a healthy equipping church and a healthy sending church. So you ready to join? (laughs) Are you glad that you already joined? I hope that I have been faithful to give a good commercial, hopefully quickly, for our church. But I want to tender that commercial with this. We are not a perfect church. (laughs) We get a lot wrong. We're weak in some areas. We're dropping the ball with some things. we, We definitely have not arrived. But we are striving very hard to fix and set our attention on Jesus Christ. That sometimes is easier said than done. We need to evangelize more. We need to reach out to the community more. We need to reach out to the unreached nations more. We need to lead better. We need to equip better. We need to serve better. We need to love better. We're not perfect, but we have a perfect Savior. We have a perfect Redeemer. He is the head of this church. And so we work hard to lean all of our love and all of our hopes and all of our future on Jesus because he is our hope and he is the head. I love these powerful thoughts from our mom, Jen Hatmaker, again, about the church. I'm convinced we want more than what the church was designed to provide. Unreasonable expectations leave pastors constantly depleted or power drunk and people constantly disappointed or codependent. The early church involved small communities who gathered around tables, lived simple lives on mission, and loved God and neighbor. That was kind of it. The first believers assembled for renewal and teaching and dinner and togetherness. It was so basic and lovely. Everyone pulled weight, pitched in, pressed into God. The early church wasn't fancy or entertaining, impressive or complicated, but it managed to take the gospel to the whole world. I typed that Friday night, sitting at Cool Beans Coffee Shop. And I'm so glad nobody else is in the room because I just started weeping. 
Because as I typed that sentence, I thought those people who weren't fancy, they weren't entertaining, they didn't have it all together. Their love for Jesus made sure that I found Jesus. Their love for Jesus made sure you found Jesus. You have no gospel without these messed up first people. So we may be messed up. We may not have it all together. But I do pray that as a church, that we would begin to think deeply about what it means to be together. That we would think deeply about what it means to have joy in Christ. And that we would do life together in this world. And we would do life together for the gospel.